Well, if you look in your program, you'll see uh, the message of today's uh, sermon, or the title of today's message, is got to be the most riveting title anyone's ever written for a sermon. You know, El- Eldering or Elders Part Two. All right, the sequel. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Um, the sequel's never as good as the original, by the way. Let me just sort of say that. But hopefully today will be different than that because you're going to actually have a chance to meet the 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 four individuals. Uh, plus myself up here, five of us that are a part of the last phase of the elder candidacy, the vetting process. Uh, did you get one of those handouts when you came in with the eldering with everybody's picture on it in the inside? Uh, you, you may have gotten that when you came in. Hopefully you did. If you didn't, grab one on the way out. We had them yesterday, or last week as well if you're here in the service. This is going to give you a chance to be able to read their testimony, read their story, even while you're going to get to know them face-to-face here in a few minutes. But let me say this about our elder process. Uh, Lloyd did a fantastic job last week of teaching on eldership. And if you missed that message, this is really one of those. If you call Fellowship your church home, you really should go back and listen to the audio. It's available on the web. You can also uh, access it via podcast. But we'd encourage you to do that because that was our opportunity to teach from God's word why we are elder-led. You know, there's different kinds of church government. And as we've studied the New Testament, we're convinced that God intended his church to be led by a plurality of men called elders. And as Lloyd described in the New Testament, the word elder, the word pastor, the word bishop, they're all used interchangeably. So elders are shepherds. Elders are pastors. Elders lead the body. Elders provide for the body. Elders care for the body. And we're going to continue to do a little more teaching on what it is that elders do over the next couple of weeks. Now, this is all part of our Acts series. We're not really stepping out of the book of Acts. We're still in the book of Acts. But we're embedding in kind of a deep dive on eldering because you all need to know why we are led by elders. And I want to say this as well about Lloyd's message last week. One of the things I really loved about it was it was a really good example of us as a church saying we want to obey the Bible and everything the Bible commands. And as best as we can understand and as best as we can interpret using the gifts God has given us and the teachers and the elders that God has given us, we want to obey. And one of the things that was clear in that passage that Lloyd shared last week is elders are men. And as you've sort of sat in that a little bit, and, and you know, Lloyd was you know, really open-handed with this idea of in our culture, there's a tension here. And that may have generated some questions in you. And I don't want you just to hold those questions. We want to point you to some resources and then also make ourselves available to answer any questions that you have. So on our website, if you go to Lloyd's message and you find that under messaging, you're going to find a couple of documents posted on there. One is Lloyd's notes from his message as well. If you want to look at those a little more carefully, we encourage you to do that. And then the second is a really good article by Wayne uh, Grudem. And Grudem is a theologian, he's a seminary professor, and he's done a lot of good work on this idea uh, of what we believe the Bible teaches about complementarianism. In other words, God has created two genders that are both equal to one another in value and yet have distinct roles. And so what we believe at Fellowship is as much as we live out God's word, as much as we embody God's word in all areas of our life, that's how we come to flourishing. That's how we come to life that is true life. And so we want that for you individually in your own journeys of faith and your obedience in, in various areas of your life. And we want that for us as a church. So I just wanted to share that with you and point you to that resource. Um, I'll also tell you, if you want to get to know these elder candidates a little bit more in depth beyond this morning, there's an opportunity this Tuesday night at the Brentwood campus 
from 6 to 8 p.m. just a drop-in meet and greet. There'll be some coffee there. There'll be some desserts. There'll be a chance just for you to shake their hand, maybe get to know them, ask them a question or two. Uh, this is all part of our process to ask you, our congregation, to vet these candidates. Um, they've entered into a long process. For some of them, it's been over a year, and this is the final stage. And we really want you, if you have any question or hesitation about any of these men, to ask, to share that with us, the elder team. There is a link on our website when you go to the page on the elders. There's a link that you can click that will share feedback. Um, this is a little bit of an awkward part of the process, but it's an important one. If there's some way that one of these men has harmed you or you question their integrity, or maybe you just heard something that just didn't square with what you would think would be a qualification and a characteristic of an elder, we need to know that now before they're affirmed to lead our body. So you have a couple of weeks to do that, also a chance to meet them face-to-face -face on Tuesday night. I hope you'll take advantage of those opportunities. Last thing I'll say as I bring these guys up, in fact, guys, why don't you go ahead and come up. Um, I'm up here not just to interview them. I'm one of the five candidates. Um, I became a pastor here three and a half years ago, and I've been sitting in as a part of the elder team, but never formally and officially affirmed on that elder team. And even though my role now is lead pastor, I wanted to be a part of the process, to have integrity to our elder process. I've been right along these men throughout this uh, process as well. And so I am a candidate along with them. Now, if, if I uh, don't get affirmed to the board, I don't know what happens to me. <laughs> I guess we're moving, right? <laughs> we're getting booted. We're getting the punt. Um, but I am excited to be here and particularly excited to be here with these four men. I'm going to let give you a chance to get to know them. As they come on the board, Lord willing, there will be several of our current elders that will be rolling off the board to an inactive status later this year. Our plan, our Lord willing, the Spirit will help us identify two or three more uh, lay men, candidates to enter onto the elder board as well. And then next year about this time, maybe one more round, and that will give all of the current elder board a chance to take a break because those men have been serving a long time and been doing a good and faithful job through a lot of challenges. So we're refreshing the board over about a period of 12 months, and this is sort of round one of that elder <coughs> renewal. So Rob, let me start with you down here. Rob Howard, introduce us to your family. Maybe tell us a little bit about why you're here at Fellowship. Okay. Rob Howard, my wife Kirsten and I met 27 years ago, we started dating at, at Baylor University in Texas. We got married 23 years ago and moved here. And you can notice in that picture, we're moving our oldest, Caleb, who's 19, into his second year at the University of Tennessee. And there's a whole lot of Texas in that picture with Tennessee, if you look at what we're wearing. So you can tell how conflicted we are even after 23 years of being here. Uh, Caleb is our oldest, 19. Our daughter, Sarah, 17 this month. She's a junior at Brentwood High School, and our youngest, Ben, is 12. He's a sixth grader at Brentwood Middle. And we came to fellowship 13 and a half years ago, um, not as staff. We came just to be members in the body after serving a part-time church, uh, church part-time for nine years. And fellowship was like an oasis to us um, because we, for the first time in our marriage, got to choose a church to attend and so we had a list of a really strong Bible teaching, uh, a children's ministry that would help us lay the groundwork of faith in our children, and then a worship uh, ministry that was real and authentic. And in fellowship, we found all three of those and called it home. Mm, yeah. 
Great story. By the way, Rob is on staff at the Brentwood campus. He's our executive pastor, works with our staff. Very much like uh, Eric Hoffman's role here, Rob is that for the Brentwood campus. Meet uh, Mike Vogt. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mike, and uh, if the picture's up, I am the very proud husband of a beautiful woman, young lady named Lynette. Uh, we got married February 2nd, 2002. Uh, if you look at the math, that's 020202. We actually got married at 2 p.m. on that day, just to <laughs> add one more two into the equation. Um, oldest daughter is Elizabeth. She's 14 years old. And youngest daughter is Amy. She's 12. Um, Lynn and I moved to uh, Nashville from Southern California uh, back in 2002, just a few months after we got married, uh, to buy a, a struggling business. And as we came to Tennessee, we started trying to figure out where our church home was going to be. And we do what any intelligent couple does. We started asking questions at Starbucks. You know, where are the cool churches? Where should we be, where should we be looking at uh, church home? And we got a few suggestions, a few recommendations. Some of them were really weird. Some of them felt better. But what I discovered very quickly um, was that it wasn't hard to find good music on Sunday morning. This is Nashville, after all. Um, so it's easy to find talented musicians that could sound really good on Sunday morning. Um, but I was surprised that uh, it was actually hard to find something that felt like authentic worship, people whose heart was to worship the Lord and not, not just put on a good show on Sunday morning. Um, and back in 2002, I found that. And who was the guy who was our worship pastor at the time was actually Brian Petak, our former global pastor. He was the worship minister when we were over at the Franklin High School. Um, and so I was drawn to that. And then uh, in addition to that, the very challenging and convicting teaching that came uh, from the, from the uh, teaching pastors at the time was uh, something that made me feel convicted when I left church on Sunday. You know it's a good message when you're still talking about the message over lunch or over dinner that day, um, and that was a very frequent occurrence. And so those are some of the things that, uh, that made Fellowship Bible Church home for us back then. Fantastic. Yeah. And I will always know your wedding anniversary now. Yes. That is drilled inside yeah. of my brain. Yeah. Uh, many of you may recognize Mike. Mike's a very gifted teacher. He's not on staff at our church. He's a lay leader in our church, but he's preached a couple of times, I think, right here at this mm -hmm. campus as well as Brentwood as well, and we'll continue to uh, tap on his shoulder every now and then uh, in that role, Lord willing. All right, Chris. Good morning, Chris White. Um, so I married a beautiful South Dakota bride, Kaiza. Last week, I apparently didn't say her name in the services, so her name is Kaiza, if you haven't met her. Uh, we have three uh, energetic, uh, wonderful kiddos. Jakey's uh, six, uh, Annie's four, and Mila Jean's about 16 months old. We live out towards Leapers Fork on a small acreage. Uh, we've also got a miniature donkey, two miniature goats, about 25 chickens, and dog, and <laughs> some cats, and three small human beings. So, um, so that's our that's our world. Um, I, we've been at, uh, at Fellowship for a little over 11 years. My parents, uh, my dad and stepmom, actually started coming to Fellowship when we were at Franklin High. So uh, when I came back from Knoxville in 2006, Fellowship was home. It, it, was, it really wasn't a question uh, for me as to what church uh, I wanted to get plugged into. And the reason, the reason that Fellowship, I, I felt so strongly about Fellowship is because of the unapologetic stand on the truth of Scripture. Now, as we all saw from, uh, from Lloyd last week, he's very unapologetic about what the Scripture says, and we need to be that way. And so, uh, so that, was, that was a big thing for me. And then uh, secondly, the community that we have here, um, 
uh, even more specifically the community that we have here on at the Franklin campus I think is really really sweet uh, you get a group of folks that want to be very intentional you get folks that are that are in their 30s that uh, that are baptized because they're being obedient and faithful to what God has called them to I think that might be kind of unique and so I love the community uh, my wife and I do uh, and so that's it's a big reason why we're here too great Good morning. My name's uh, Larry Kayser, and uh, we've been here about uh, 12 years. And uh, you can see behind me, our family is uh, continuing to expand. And there's probably a few familiar faces there. We are, last service, I, uh, I flipped this around. I said, Eric's still here. But I want to say this service, we're so glad he's part of our family. <laughs> My wife corrected me when I got down and made that, sure, I communicated that differently going forward. And... Uh, so we have uh, four daughters, and they are 37, 35, 33, and 31. And my beautiful bride, Anne, is sitting down here, and we are heading to our 39th year of marriage this year. And in that picture, you'll see there are nine grandchildren. The 10th one is still in the oven. And the picture was taken last summer, so we have since added uh, Hudson to our number. So there's 10 of them now, and that keeps us all pretty darn busy. Mm-hmm. So when we... Um, the first time we were introduced fellowship about 12 years ago, um, you know, like all of you, I really appreciate the services and, and really how well they're done and, and uh, in, in every way in terms of our teaching and our, our ministry with worship. And, and those things are always, it's always a privilege and a blessing to be in our services. But when we came here originally, what really motivated Ann and I to come here beyond those was, as everyone said, a commitment to teaching the biblical uh, truth in an authentic and inviting kind of way. But at the same time, this, this desire to create environments outside of the church where truth was shared in the context of authentic relationships and ministry was given away to people to lead and to put it in their neighborhoods and put it all around this community. And, and honestly, that's what really attracted us to come and be part of fellowship when we had our first opportunity 12 years ago, and we are very glad to be here and heading into this next season. Amen. Amen. Very good. Well, you had a chance to get to know a little bit about these guys and saw pictures of their families. I'm, I'm going to take a deep dive with them, and I'm going to go straight to the core of who these men are, and I want to do that by asking them this question. Tell us a story of God at work in your life. And uh, you can go to your salvation story, or you can go to something more recent. But Rob, why don't we start again with you? Tell us a story of God at work in your life. Sure. Some significant growth for me began about five or six years ago. And it's the idea of what is it like just to be with Jesus? And for me, most all of my adult life, I've served a church, half of it part-time and half of it now full-time. And as I said earlier, I'm a list maker and I get busy and I can do and I can do and I can do. And a friend asked me one time, well, what's it like for you just to be with Jesus? And in talking out the answer to that, I realized that for me to be with Jesus meant that I would do things for Jesus. I would do things with Jesus, serve him. And I really began to describe a side-by-side relationship with Jesus. And that's good. And there's so much more. So the question is, 
Well, what's it like for me to have a face-to-face relationship with Jesus? It's like John 15, abiding in the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. Apart from him, from him, we can do nothing. And it's that. What is it like for me to abide in the vine? I could get so busy squeezing out all the fruit that I can, and I would get to the end exhausted. And so I think that for most of my life, there's been this good pursuit of I want to find God. I want to know God. I want to love God. And that's good. And there's so much more. What's it like for me to truly be, let myself be found by God? What's it like for me to let myself be fully known and fully loved by God? And in that, in my posture of sitting still with Jesus, um, there was a vulnerability, an honesty, um, a humility that began to really change me. And what I found in that being, in that abiding with Jesus, is this deep well of relationship that is rich and it's full and it's fulfilling. And as that doing in me flows out of that deep well of being, I'm finding that that fruit is more healthy, and I'm certainly more healthy in it. Mm. You know, I've heard Rob share that story a couple of times and it dawned on me that I've only known Rob after he's been sort of pursuing that face-to-face relationship with Jesus and uh, God's really done work in him and when I'm around him and when our staff is around him we find ourselves pursuing more depth in our relationship with Christ and I just really appreciate that you've brought that to us Rob thank you Mike tell us the story of God at work in you yeah um, so I became a believer at 21. Uh, I had never heard the gospel before. Um, I had only darkened the door of a church twice before my 21st birthday, and that was to see two of my cousins get married. Um, I'm sure I had heard the name Jesus before, but not in the context in which we would probably apply it in church. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was playing basketball with a guy who shared the gospel with me, and um, 15 minutes later in a cafeteria at the university I was attending, I, with tears in my eyes, prayed to receive Christ. Mm. Um, and uh, I became a believer at 21, and then three months later, I would, have, I would start my first business. And it's interesting now, I'm 44 years old, I look back on that timeline, and those two decisions that I made within about 90 days of each other, they've almost come to define me over the last, you know, 23-odd years. Mm. The two great loves of my life have become Christ, and the marketplace. I've loved uh, running businesses. I've loved coaching businesses. And um, I'd I'd say that one of the things that the Lord has been working in and through me over the years is um, to be very intentional about how to use the influence that you have for His glory. Um, I found that through my business, I could make my business my mission field. I could be a ministry to my employees. I could be a ministry to my customers if I was intentional about how to do that well. Um, and so I have, over the years, uh, spent more and more time thinking about how do I do this? What's a, what's a strategic way of making Christ known right where I'm at right now? Um, and I was, I was lucky. I was, I was grateful that I had a, my own business that I could kind of use as my experiment and try some different things. Um, 
But I found over the years, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a lot of fun to do that and uh, just to try to steward well the influence that I've been given. And for me, that's become a passion. Uh, I like to help and to teach others about how they can make the most of the uh, influence that they have in their workplace as well. Mm, so. That's great. Yeah. I love that about Mike. He and I share that passion to help equip people to live out their faith in the marketplace. So it's going to be fun uh, to explore how we can do that and do that more significantly here at Fellowship. Mike really lives that out, by the way. It occurred to me, as Mike was telling his story, three of the five of us up here came to Christ later in life. And Rob and I were both saved uh, as, as young children, but these three over here came to Christ later in life. I think that's kind of cool. That's it's significant. Against the, it's against the statistics. Yeah, it's uh, it not, maybe not, not typical, but God's at work. All right, Chris White. If you're wondering why the three of us are passing a mic and Larry gets his own, is because uh, he's a little sickly, has cooties, so we're not going to touch him. Uh, yes. Scooting this way a bit. thought it was worth an explanation on why we're doing this here. Um, uh, so God saved me on November 8th, 2006, and the last 11 or so years, uh, he has aggressively been changing me and changing my heart uh, and who I am. The last couple years have been, I, the way I would describe it is it's been sent in overdrive, and God is really, uh, even I feel more aggressively uh, changing me. Uh, this last year, 2017, I believe Kaiser and I will look at it 20 years from now, and, and, and it will be one of those years where you go, wow, God, you showed up over and over and over. Um, there were several things this last year that I was so reminded of God's providence and his provision and his timing. Um, it's, it's been amazing. But this process for me, the elder process, started back in uh, September of 2016. So I'm the longest uh, tenured elder candidate, uh, I guess, because they had to vet me out longer than everybody else. It's my joke. Um, no joke. No, it's true. It's fair. Uh, but in, in January of last year, we started uh, a group. There were nine of us here at the Franklin campus to uh, start walking through a book called Gospel Eldership. And uh, I came into this process arrogant, extremely arrogant. And I walked in the first, the first week, Rob asked everybody, so, so what are you, why are you here? And there were, there were guys uh, that were sitting there. Uh, Brent Burns said, said yeah, I, I'm here because I love Jesus, and I want to serve however I can. I'll never forget Jack Reagan said, I don't even know if I'm qualified to be an elder, but you asked me to be here, so I'm here and I come in and I start talking about all these great things that God's done in my life and developing me to be uh, a leader. And there's these milestones in my life that I can point back that he's been creating me to be a leader. Oh, and when you look at all the elder qualifications, I check the boxes. And so I'm here because I think I should be here, essentially, is what I said. And so we started going through this through gospel eldership. And I found myself that week weeping over that book tears all over the pages and it was as if God was telling me kiddo you think you got it all together no you don't um, here's the mess that's in your heart and it's like God opened up my heart put a, a microscope over it and one of the things that he revealed to me which this will be common language for most of us that have gone through the, dis the discipleship um, year one is he revealed to me that I have a really big approval idol 
And I, I had this idea, my, literally my entire life, of who Chris White is that people will like. And so everything I did, everything I said, was directed at trying to be that guy. And God, through just an amazing process and his kindness, uh, revealed to me that, no, kiddo, you're exactly how I made you. Rest in that. In Christ, this is who you are. Romans 6 talks all about that. You're no longer under the bondage of sin, but under grace. This is who you are in Christ. And for the first time in my entire life, I literally lived 34 years with a mask on, trying to be this guy that people would like. And for the first time in 2017, that mask came off. All the weight of trying to, to be this guy was taken off of me. And so for the first time in my life, I'm the guy that God created me to be. Mm. Um, and so it's been an amazing process. Um, I'm a different man today than I uh, was a year ago. And God continues to pursue me and pursue me and change me. Uh, and he's not done yet, which is, which is exciting. Mm. Amen. Uh, when Chris was sharing that part of his story, it reminded me of something Lloyd shared last week, that it's actually the spirit that identifies and raises up elders. And this was part of the work of the spirit in Chris's life. And honestly, um, that transformation where he vulnerably just shared with you right now, that coming to the place of realizing I'm actually a mess and I need Jesus. I'm not just a success story. I'm, I'm a work in progress, depending on grace. That's part of the reason that Chris is up here. Um, we all are in that place. Some of us have been able to take off the mask and admit it. Some of us still tend to wear the mask. And part of my dream for fellowship is that we'd be a church where more and more people in authenticity can admit their mess. Doesn't this county need people that can take off the mask and admit their mess and come to Christ? Well, I actually got some claps. All right. I think that needs to go in our new vision statement, guys. There's something that resonated there. But no, we live in a beautiful place. And we live in a place of a lot of Chris Whites and beautiful families and, and wonderful success. Nothing wrong with that. But to be able to go deeper and confess our deep need for Jesus Christ and our brokenness is a big part of this. So thanks for leading us that way, Chris. All right, Larry. Uh, you know, watching the last baptism here with the McCorkles and the Baileys, their family, uh, man and I were sitting there, reminded me of really a slogan we talked about in our family all the years our kids were growing up and that was this one idea that we were going to live one life at a time or love one life at a time that that's the calling in our life as our families to love one life at a time there's nobody who can't get their arms around the great commission when you think we're called to love one life at a time and mm -hmm. as i watched these baptisms this morning i was just reminded how often that loving one life at a time starts right inside of our own home, in our own families, and it goes out from there. But, but it's a small way of thinking about how we live with one another. And, you know, I've been in ministry for about 30 years, and it's amazing how easy it is for me to lose track of what it means to live in such a way that you love one life at a time. And so just before Christmas this year, I came across a book called Out of the Blue, which is the story of Greg Murtha's struggle with cancer for about five years. And, you know, he was already a you know, very committed follower of Jesus. He was, he was doing all kinds of things that all of us would look at with a great deal of respect. But when he got sick, he had 
um, several surgeries, two heart attacks, and 75 rounds of chemotherapy. And during that process, God taught him how to love one life at a time. God changed his eyesight for what was around him and who was around him. You know, and in ministry, you can get where you're preparing talks, you're planning lessons, you're putting workshops together, you're drawing outlines up, and you're working at it, and you're working at it, and you're working at it, and you're always working at it for somebody else. And not always for me. Pretty soon, like, that's all you're doing is doing it for somebody else. And so when I picked this book up this year, um, which I bought each one, one for our kids for Christmas, but when I picked it up, and I got done reading it. I thought, Lord, do not let this just be another book I've read, please. Would you let this thing make an imprint on me? Would you pull me back to the awareness of loving one life at a time? And I wish I could tell you I walked around like that all the time, but I don't. And that book, um, I, I pray that God will use that book as a catalyst to reignite that heart in me. So little example, a couple of weeks ago, I went home from a... a um, deal I was at in Florida conference and I called an Uber and because I read that book I was prompted to say Lord is there to pray Lord is there something some way to love this guy you know one life at a time between now and the airport in 45 minutes so a guy pulls up in a beautiful Range Rover which I thought was pretty unique for Uber driver so I get in there find out it's only the second time he's driven anybody so he's brand new to this. I said, what are you doing this for? He said, well, I'm retired. I've been a commercial real estate guy. I got all the money I need. He said, but you, get, you just can't play enough golf and tennis. I had to find something to do. So then he, I asked him about his wife and his kids, and he started telling me about his, he was in his second marriage. It was about 19 or 20 years long, and he said, I think I'm about ready to lose it. I, I'm about to lose my marriage. He said, I don't want to lose my marriage again. And it just opened the door for me to tell him about what God intended for marriage and out of that to share the gospel with him. And so by the time I left to go into the airport, I was able to pray for him. I was able to tell him, share the gospel, and I was able to hook him up with a place he might find some marriage help right there in Fort Myers. And I, I, will just, I tell you that to say I wish I walked around all of the time aware of the broken and hurting people in the world around me, but I'm not. And so... My prayer is that I continue to grow into that man who loves one life at a time and sees opportunity that God brings all around all of us. Mm. You know, Larry was telling that story. I don't know how many of you know this, but Larry leads our marriage ministry here at Fellowship. And he and Anne as well, they, they lead and do a tremendous job. And one of their strategies is they disciple and develop couples to become marriage mentors and to pour into other marriages. In fact, there's 40-some-odd couples across Fellowship or Brentwood campus and Franklin campus that have gone through this discipleship process. When you talk to those folks about the marriage ministry, they beam, they light up. It's because they're finding community there and they're finding a place to serve there. And I'm envisioning a future for us where fellowship could become a place where couples in Williamson County with struggling marriages, and there are an awful lot, can find hope and can find life in this gospel-centered, relationally-oriented approach to mending marriages. So I couldn't be more excited for Larry to kind of um, increase his stewardship and influence and leadership at Fellowship through this elder process. And by the way, I, I've told the, the other congregation this as well, but I have a very short list of people that I want to be like when I grow up, and Larry Kayser's on that list for me. 
really respect that man. Well, I've, I've got one more question to ask you guys, and um, yeah, time, time is running short, so we'll share briefly, but I'd love for you to share what is one hope or dream that you have for fellowship moving forward, or what's one thing you're excited about this new season, and whoever wants to jump in and share just real briefly can go ahead and do that. I'll start again. Um, for the last few years, a, a, a phrase has been on my mind, finding God in all things. And I feel like for the last six months, I just see the work of the Spirit everywhere. And like Rob said, I work a lot with our staff. And our staff, to see the unity that's growing in our staff, the energy, the excitement, the joy, uh, I truly see God at work in that. And it's exciting. Also, in, our re- in this season of renewal, our renewed um, emphasis on prayer. That's in our staff, and it's in our body, and I'm excited to see the dependence on the Spirit. I'm thankful for that. I want to be Bob Lane. Hmm. Remind us who that was. Kellen, thank you for that. Bob and Audrey? Bob and Audrey Lane made a tremendous impact on these guys. They were part of a local church. They were equipped in the local church, and they got outside of the four walls of the church, and they shared the love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what an impact it has made on you guys, on the McCorkles, on you guys, and now on your kiddos. Again, that generational. Um, praise God. That's who I want to be. I was sitting there thinking, we've got people around us that we live by. I want to be that guy to love on them. Mm-hmm. I desire for our church to be a bunch of Bob and Audrey Lanes. Mm-hmm. We have been, uh, we've been through this pruning process as a church, um, and God prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. I am extremely hopeful and excited for, for the intentionality of our church um, and, and having this group of people uh, that want to go out and share the gospel and get outside of these four walls and get after it. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I can tell. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> It's like we might like connected. I was about ready to say the precise same words. No, I was going to include no, bring the lanes in. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, no. I mean that really. Everything in we talked about this morning was legacy, and legacy isn't just family to family, right? It's family of God. And so we we're sitting in a room here for a potential legacy within our walls and outside of our walls. So. I am really fired up about the next season of our church, figuring out, you know, how to make room in our hearts for those who don't know Christ, how we can become the lanes and love one life at a time right where God has us planted. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, I don't want to say echo or amen, but before I passed the mic to Chris, I was in the exact same spot. This family, that, this neighbor that invested into your, into your family um, I think it's on all of our minds this morning as we see the impact that a life well-lived can have in other people. And we've got a responsibility, we've got a stewardship that we need to live lives that are changed. Right? I've heard that changed lives change lives. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a testimony of that this morning. There's a courage and a conviction that's part of that to be willing to just be bold and step out and do it. There's an equipping element. We need to know how to do this well. What, what's the right way to do this? But there's also a submission part of this. Uh, Sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit making us more like Christ. And that actually requires our cooperation, our yielding 
to let the Lord mold us and shape us into becoming more like him. Because unless we live lives that are different than everybody else out there, what are they going to see in us that they want? Hmm. Right? The lanes were a walking example of this. That's what I want for fellowship. I'm, con I'm convicted that I want that to be part of our future going forward for the next 20 years. Mm. So, mm. Amen. Anyways. Amen. Well, here's how we want to close the service. I want to give these guys a chance to pray for you. And one reason I want to do that is because an elder is not just a leader. The, these men, if, they're, if they are affirmed to the elder board through this process, they're not just going to be sitting in a room making decisions on budgets and personnel and those kinds of things. Those things are, are sort of uh, secondary to their primary responsibility to shepherd the flock, to shepherd the body. That means pray for you. That means care for you. And I know these men's hearts. And you, you can, I hope you can see why I'm so excited about the potential of these four men because of their hearts and what God is doing. And so I want to give them an opportunity to shepherd you, even through a prayer, a pastoral prayer, if you will. So I'll begin, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of just pass the mic around, and we'll pray for you to close the service. So bow, bow your heads with us. Father, we want to pray for this congregation and and I'll begin just by saying I feel a strong sense of affection and care for these men and women, even these ones sitting in the room right now, many of whom I know, many I don't yet know, yet you've given me a love for them as a shepherd. And Father, we will not lead perfectly, but help us to lead well. Help us to put the needs of your congregation above our own needs. And we pray, God, as you're about to um, as you're about to hear the hearts expressed from these men for marriages, for workplace ministry, for relationship with Christ, for influence in the community, Father, would you hear these prayers on behalf of your people and would you answer them in the name of Jesus? Father, I do want to lift up our marriages, our homes uh, to you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Father, in our brokenness, learn how to love one another in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would allow the gospel truth of reconciliation, the forgiveness of grace, sacrifice, servanthood, humility, all of those things that you gave for us on the cross and you pour into us through your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us see our marriages as a reflection of your gospel love for us. And Lord, would you let that truth change our homes and change the way we relate and are seen and experienced in our community. And through that strength, Lord, that you would help us to love one life, one home at a time. Lord, we need your help for that. In Jesus' name. Father, I'm reminded uh, how much you love us. You love us perfectly, no matter what, always and forever. You love us. And I am so grateful for that. Father, I, um, I pray for this church body. I ask that you will give us a boldness and a conviction to get outside of these four walls, to make our way up to the front lines of the Great Commission, to love people well, speak truth, share the sweet and good news of Jesus with others, and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Father, I ask for that boldness and conviction for our body um, as, as individuals, but as we come together and as we are scattered, I ask that you will lead us by your spirit. That's the only way that we can do it. We can't do it ourselves. In fact, if we try to do it ourselves, we're going to mess everything up. It's all going to be done through you. 
And we ask that you fill us up, more of you, less of us. Thanks for Jesus and what he did for us we couldn't do for ourselves. Lord, in the Sermon on the Mount, we read about a city on the hill that gives light and is seen and is able to give light to all. Father, wherever we report to tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., Lord, that is our mission field. That is a place where our influence can be used to draw others towards you. Lord, help us to not light our light and put it under a bowl, but, Lord, to put it up on a high place for all to see that it may give light and give warmth to others who are in need. And, Lord, we don't do this to impress you. We don't do this to earn favor. We don't do this to earn salvation. Lord, we do this because we have received your favor and because we have been given salvation. Lord, your grace is a great gift. Help us to live our lives in a way that expresses thanks to you for the wonderful thing you've done for us. And, Father, when I think of who you are, I'm undone by your love for us, your love that is never-ending, that will never fail. Your grace that we don't deserve is a gift to us, freely given. Your kindness leads us to repentance. Your mercy, new every morning. You are a good Father. We love you. And I pray that we would be a church that seeks an ever-deepening relationship with you, knowing you and loving you more each day and letting ourselves be fully known and fully loved by you. And may we grow as we embrace the truth of your word, as we live together in community, as we live in communion with you, and may we be known by your love as we give our lives away. We want to be a people that loves you with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. Thank you. Thank you for who you are and your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand to your feet? And we're going to dismiss you together. Just a couple of things. If you'd like to meet these men, shake their hands, say hello to them. They'll be down here after the service. If you need prayer, just someone that you'd like to pray with. Uh, we have a team over here to the right in that corner. They'd love to pray with you, Latrells. Uh, also, any of, any of us down front would love to pray as well. Um, we are gathered to be scattered. So as you're scattered as ambassadors of the hope of Jesus Christ, we want to give you a blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he lift his face to shine upon you. May he grant you his countenance, his face-to-face relationship. And may he give you peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a great week.